Welcome to the First Apostolic Church Podcast. Our church mission is to love as God loves, showing compassion to every soul, thus winning those souls and equipping them to be sent out to plant and to harvest. Thank you for joining us today, and we hope that you are blessed by today's podcast. I'll probably just let you be seated and I'll continue reading. All right, that's for your benefit, not mine. Uh, But uh, nonetheless, last week I talked about in our lesson how all signs point to him. Uh, Tonight, I want to talk to you about this. It's kind of leading out of that into this. So all signs point to him last week. This week, I want to talk to you about read the signs. Jesus is here to save you. Read the signs. Jesus is here to save you. John chapter number five. I'll start with verse one and I'll tell you when when I'll I'll let you be seated. Okay. the Bible says (laughs) and this after this, there was a feast of the Jews and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is at Jerusalem by the sheep market a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches in these lay a great multitude of impotent folk of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity 30 and 8 years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another step of down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately... The man was made whole and took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath day. I'll stop right there and pray and allow you to be seated. Father, I love you, Jesus, tonight. God, help us, O Lord, in our Lord Bible study lesson here this evening. Open up our hearts and our our souls, God, to your word. Help us, God, to see the life that is in them, the story of you that's contained in them. I pray, O Lord, help us, God, to read the signs, God, as they are. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. You may be seated. As I continue reading, starting with verse number 10, the Jews therefore said unto him that was cured, it is the Sabbath day. It is not lawful for thee to carry thy bed. He answered them, he that made me whole, the same said unto me, take up thy bed and walk. Then asked they him, What man is that which saith unto thee, Take up thy bed and walk? And he that was healed wist not, or he knew not, who it was. For Jesus had conveyed himself away, and a a multitude being in that place. Afterward, Jesus findeth him in the temple, and said unto him, Behold, thou art made whole. Sin no more, lest a worse thing come upon thee. The man departed and told the Jews that it was Jesus which had made him whole. And therefore, and, and therefore did the Jews persecute Jesus and sought to slay him because he had done these things on the Sabbath day. Amen. And so this is our lesson tonight. Read the signs. Jesus is here to save you. 
We've already went over uh, a couple notable miracles in the gospel of John. We have seen that there were other miracles even beyond those that John had mentioned, and this is yet another miracle. And so I must admit to you that I was a little nervous, a little apprehensive about coming to you tonight and presenting this passage because I know that this passage uh, uh, over the history of time of my life has been a, a well-worn passage. Many people have preached on it. I know of at least two sermons I've preached on it myself in years gone by, one just probably about a year ago. Matter of fact, last year, right after camp, I preached on this passage. And it's camp week right now, so here we are. Wednesday night Bible study. Amen. But nonetheless, and so there may be some of you that are familiar uh, with the dynamics of these verses. However, what we will endeavor to accomplish this evening is uh, what we would call in, in golf, Mike, we're just going to try to tee up the ball. We're just kind of getting the ball set on top of the tee ready uh, for a hit here tonight because uh, after this whole scenario, the miracle takes place. There is a very long discourse uh, between Jesus and, and the Jews, and it's mostly Jesus that's doing the talking, uh, that he's conveying some things. But whenever we look at the healings and the miracles that we have met thus far, uh, Sister Adams, those that we have studied, we understand that these miracles and healings are nothing more but witnesses to Jesus being the Christ. Uh, just as much as John the Baptist was a, was a voice to be a witness, these signs and miracles uh, in, in a means and way are lifting their voice and being a witness that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Because through these events, through these miracles, and through these healings, Jesus is doing things that no one else has done. He's accomplishing things that no one else has accomplished. He is, and also by doing these things, he is, in this particular miracle, uh, he is challenging the Jews. He is challenging the traditions of their culture. He is trying, he really is, he's trying to open their understanding about who he really is without coming right out and say it. Have you ever tried to kind of beat around the bush a little bit to tell somebody something without telling them it? You understand what I'm saying? You're trying to convey it. You're hoping they're going to pick up what you're laying down, right, without just being right in their face. Boom, here it is. Jesus is trying to get people uh, by a self-revelation to understand that he is the Christ. He is the son of the living God. He is God manifested in the flesh. He's trying to do all of that without coming right out and, and just saying it. So in this period of time, we know that these impotent folk, these that are blind, these that are uh, withered, these that are halt, uh, they are living during an era when there is no known cure for their dilemma. There's no known cure for their blindness, for their being halt or withered. There's no known cure. And so they are forever bound, as it would seem in this period of time, by their infirmity. And they have, in essence, no hope for any alteration. They have no hope for any change that is ahead. However, word had been circulating among them concerning this pool of Bethesda, this body of water. It began to circulate concerning what was happening at these waters. Evidently, there were times, according to Scripture, that these waters would become troubled or they would bubble or be agitated uh, by some means. And the Scripture declares that Who's, now this is a broad brush. I, I mean, this is the type of check you like to cash, all right? Whosoever stepped first 
into the troubling of the water, then was made whole of whatsoever disease they had. You can't get hardly any two bigger words than whosoever and whatsoever. Right? And so this is a large check, amen, to, to cash. And so when you take that idea, whosoever has whatever disease will be made whole if they step into the waters. You take that and you set that right beside all of these halt, blind, withered, who in their day there is no known cure. And you got a recipe for a contrast. They're saying whosoever, whatsoever, and yet they're living in a time that there's no known cure for whatever it was that they had going on in their life. And so as a result of this, and we're getting out, what's happening at this, this pool, uh, there's five porches around it. It's kind of rectangular, but it's divided in the middle by one porch, so the other four porches are around it. We have all of these individuals that are infirm, that are sickly. Uh, it, it was all of those that had these issues that are sitting or laying or standing around about this pool of Bethesda, this pool of Bethesda. And perhaps the name itself, Bethesda, which literally means house of mercy, amen, brings about that contrast so much. People here with no known cure, yet they're at a place where it says, whatsoever I have and whosoever I am, does that matter? It can be taken care of here at this particular juncture. And so as a result of the, the rumor or the word going around, many of these people that have gathered here have put their trust in the Lord, they have put their faith more likely in the effectiveness of these waters, whatever it was, the medicinal properties of the waters. You know, there's hot springs even today. People are still running to give me an hour just to soak, and it's going to take away all of my ills. My back's not going to hurt anymore, and uh, my liver disease, and all these things. You know, medicinal medicinal properties. But the Bible says many of these were convinced, evidently, because the Scripture says in verse three, a great multitude of impotent folk were upon these five porches. And so with the scenario, you got to get the imagination, all these things in mind. They're, they're all around this place where they believe and heard that it can happen. They have something going on in their life and in a culture time that says it can't happen and in walks Jesus. And Jesus performs, if I use that word, properly here but Jesus performs a healing a miracle if you were at this location and yet he bypasses the water he doesn't incorporate it he bypasses the water he even bypasses what the impotent infirm man thought that he lacked because he thought that he needed a man to get him to the water he even bypassed that whole concept and performed a healing and a miracle in this man's life now, if these miracles and these healings are nothing more but witnesses of Christ being the son of the living God, of who he really was, then this miracle is no different than the others. This miracle of this man that was impotent, had the, was unable to walk, but then rising, taking up his bed and walking, this miracle was nothing more but a witness that Jesus Christ was God. Jesus was God. Remember, back in chapter 2, the miracles that was done at the feast of, of Passover at the temple, Nicodemus goes and visits him at night and states those words, and Nicodemus was so close to reality when he said for, to Jesus, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. So close, Nicodemus. Man, you're just right there. Amen. 
It wasn't simply that God was with Jesus, but that Jesus was the human manifestation of the invisible God. He was the fleshed out divine spirit. All right? Uh, that's why we call him, and even Matthew uh, admonished us to call him Jesus Christ, Emmanuel, being interpreted God with us. Because God wasn't merely, as Nicodemus thought, God wasn't just merely with Jesus, but it was as Paul said, one of my favorite verses, if you don't ever know this, write it down for when I die so you know, and you can quote it at my funeral of 2 Corinthians 5.19, to wit. That God was in Christ. Hallelujah. God wasn't simply with Jesus. God was in Christ. And as a result of God being in Christ when Jesus walked among humanity, God through Christ Jesus was therefore with us. Amen. And so the testimony of the miracle, the testimony of the healing was that Jesus Christ was the son of the living God, yes. But more importantly, that he was that word that was made flesh. He was that God that was manifested as flesh. And we have precedence for this, Sister Adams, not just in the New Testament, but in the Old Testament. The Old Testament prophets prophesied of Israel's God. Isaiah prophesied and told Israel that your God will come to you. Your God will, this is important, will save you. And Isaiah said, this is how you're going to know that your God has uh, uh, arrived to come and do some of those things. Here are the indicators that your God has arrived. Isaiah 35, verses 4 through 6. I love these verses. Isaiah prophesied, he says, so to them, that are of a fearful heart. He says, be strong, fear not. Behold, here it comes, prophetic now, your God will come with vengeance. Even God with a recompense. He will come and save you. Look at five, then, all right? What happens now as a result of their God coming? Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened. The ears of the death shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap up as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. For in the wilderness shall waters break out and streams in the desert. Folks, people were appalled by the Lord Jesus Christ. Many just thought of him as the carpenter's son, Joseph's son, just another human being in sandal leather walking upon the earth. But whenever the dead was being brought to life and the lame started walking, right? And the death started uh, uh, tonight hearing and, and the dumb began to speak. When all these things started to happen, then you hear words like Nicodemus. Nobody could be doing this except God be with him. The reason why they said that all they had to do was tap in into the Old Testament prophecy of Isaiah. He said, your God's going to come. Your God's going to save you. Your God's going to arrive. And then what's going to happen? Blind people are going to start seeing what's happening. Blind people are seeing in the New Testament the whole and the withered, amen, are getting up and walking. What's going on? This is not somebody trying to take God's place. This is God that's come down himself. He has arrived. He's here to save his people. Hallelujah. He's here to save his people. He's here to come and save them and give vengeance and recompense in this hour. And so Jesus, all of these miracles were testimonies. They were witnesses that God has arrived. 
Amen. He has arrived according to the Old Testament prophets that they have said by the word of the Lord. He is here to do a work. And so whenever Jesus came down at the pool of Bethesda and enables an impotent man, amen, with no ability to walk, to rise and take up his bed nonetheless and walk, this Jesus doing this, this is not someone as people thought. Some thought Jesus, well, he's claiming to be God. That's the words of scripture. Who is this man? He's claiming to be God. And they knew that was an impossibility because these Jews from very young had been taught Deuteronomy 6 and 4. They had been taught, Hero Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. They had spoken to their children the moment they exited their womb. That was in their mind. They knew there was one God. Amen. And so they said, but this guy is doing everything that God would do. This guy is doing everything that is denoted by the prophets that God would do. And so he's claiming to be God. And it's not that he's making a claim that's not his. He's just being who he is. Hallelujah. There are others and we find it. We'll find it next week. But the Jews here are making the claim concerning Jesus. Well, he's making himself equal with God. Equal with him as though almost they are two separate entities that's trying to be the same. No, 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 no. He was equal with God because he was God. He wasn't a second person of the Godhead trying to be like the first person of the Godhead. He was the Godhead. Because in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead. The scripture says bodily. It's... Son, when you start talking about the revelation of Jesus, it makes my toes tingle. Hallelujah. I feel the Holy Ghost. Amen. And so the God is here to save you. This was God. Jesus was God on display. And particularly for Israel, particularly for the Jews, this was their, what they denoted as their God. This was their God. And Jesus wanted them to know, I'm here to save you. So all the miracle signs and wonders, they are great within themselves, but they have a larger voice that's bespeaking a deeper reality that here it is. This is what Jesus wanted them to understand. That God can save you from your physical disease. Yeah. But more importantly, God can save you from your sin. Find a hanky in one of these pockets here. Check all seven of them or something. There we go. First one. So he can save you from your physical disease, but he can save you from your sins. Because being saved from your sins is more important than being saved from your physical disease. There's been many people depart out of this life having never been saved from their physical disease, but they were saved from their sin. Amen. Uh, I think this is illustrated for us in, in uh, the other Gospels concerning another healing, another miracle. Uh, you all may recall the miracle of the man who was sick of a palsy and he was born by his four friends and Jesus saw their faith, the faith of the four. You remember they came to the house, the scripture relays, the house was so full there was no room for anyone, so they began to rip off the roof. Son, and they wanted, they wanted revival so bad they tore the roof off. 
And they ripped off the roof to let the, the, the sick of the palsy down among the four friends. And note what the Bible says. And I'm kind of going to cherry pick along here this particular story just for a little bit. Mark chapter number 2 and verse number 5. Here is that story. I kind of pref- prefaced it for you for what's going on. And when Jesus saw their faith, when he saw the four friends' faith, when he saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, think just for a moment in the crowd here. Someone's probably saying, Jesus, you might need to heal the blindness before you start praying because you missed it. These four guys has carried this man. He can't carry himself. He's evidently got some problem with mobility. He can't walk. Everybody can clearly see the need. Everybody can clearly see the need. And you're saying, son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Amen. He's laying on a mat. He's being carried. Right? I mean, that, that would, in our minds, it almost like somebody coming to you, you know, ha- barely having a strip of clothing on, and it's in the winter, and it's like, would you like something to eat? You know, <laughs> You know what I'm saying? I said, is it, is it the need evident? But there is something I think very poignant here that Jesus is conveying for us then in the scripture. Though it seems like to the outer appearance and to all of the physicality of this man that there is something wrong. He is immobile. But the first thing that Jesus addressed was not his disease, but his need to be forgiven. In other words, in Jesus' mind, greater than me ministering to your physical need right now, there is a spiritual need maybe no one can see or knows about, but you need greater than your, 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 your healing for that is a healing for your sin. You need to be forgiven. Huh? So Jesus is doing something very important for us that we need to take notice of here in Scripture, and that is Jesus is prioritizing the spiritual need over the physical need. Amen? There's places in Scripture, and I don't want to take this out of context, but I believe we can also utilize this here. I'm tearing up the microphone and doing all kinds of fancy stuff up here. Amen. Uh, The Bible speaks about, uh, in Matthew 5 and other places of the Gospels, it says that if your hand offends you, cut it off. If your eye offends you, pluck it out. All right? Now, before anybody gets their pocket knife out and starts in, okay, (laughs) amen. Um, The scripture goes on to say uh, in so many words, and you can read it in Matthew chapter number five, that it would be better for us to enter heaven without the hand, without the eye, or if you will, physically maimed than to enter hell physically whole, but spiritually maimed. Now, I understand, Sister Grace, the, the context of Scripture here. It's not talking about us literally cutting off our hand. It's not talking about us literally plucking out our eye. But what it's talking about is if our eye or hand is trying to engage uh, in pleasures uh, that may gratify, uh, if you will, our flesh, then we need to deny our hand that option, deny our eye that privilege. I understand that, but at any rate, He also paints a very visual picture here, all right, that 
we can live and enter life, even eternal life, with physical disadvantages, physical issues. However, on the other hand, we can also enter hell physically whole. So here's the fact of the matter. The state of the body is not the deciding factor of heaven and hell. It is the state of the soul. So the belief, though, that we're dealing with here in John 5, the belief of the culture was, man, and even beyond John 5, was that sickness and physical ailments or such were a result or a consequence of sin. That was the common accepted belief. For instance, the disciples questioned the condition of the blind man in John 9 that we'll get to later. It says in John 9 and verse number 2, the disciples asked a question because the Lord had healed this man that had been blind from his mother's womb. And the disciples asked him saying, this is a case in point of the culture that day. Master, who did sin? This man or his parents that he was born blind. So see, the mindset was if you had some physical ailment in your life, you had a sin that that was directly tied to. Am I doing good? I mean, the Bible does say that you would be well and prosper even as your soul prospers. I don't want to get anybody, get in too deep here, all right? But the concept was this. To a certain degree, there was a correctness to what the disciples were asking. That there is this physical condition that is connected to the spiritual condition of this man or of his family, to a certain degree, there is, there is something correct there because if we get real general, literally, there are many things that our lives, in our lives that would not be as they are now if it were not for the original sin in the Garden of Adam and Eve. So if you want to paint with a broad brush, I guess you could say, yeah, because there would not be chain, pain in childbirth. There would not be by the sweat of the brow. Men breaking their backs to make a living. There would, there would be a lot of things, including all of the, the, the sickness and the disease and other matters that would not come into play had it not been for the original sin. So I guess in that context, okay. But this seems to be more trying to direct some direct sin that was responsible uh, for this individual's blindness. But Jesus basically told his disciples that no, it wasn't that his parents sinned or necessarily that he sinned. He said, but it all came about so that the works of God would be manifest. What's he saying? I needed a testimony. I needed a witness. But contrary to that or contrasting that, consider our man in John 5. Because he seems, at least as it, is almost alluded to, I'll say it like that in the scripture, he seems to have suffered with his infirmity because of some specific sin. All right? There, there, there are things in life, just so that I get both sides of the coin here tonight, there are things in life that people physically suffer from because they have practiced sin. Brother McGee, it is. Just get real basic and think. 
there's a risk of certain cancers that are increased because some people are practicing things that, according to the Bible, would be classified as sin. Okay? Yeah. We, I don't think I have to list them, do I? Uh, but, but other things you want to think about. Let's take this one. This is very, this is, this is very uh, you know, right there on the shelf. Sexually transmitted diseases are the result in many regards because of sin. If a man and a woman came together that was never together and stayed together and never had another partner, you don't have to worry about that. And so there are things, call them consequences, call them what you made, that may have a tie directly to some sin in our life or perhaps sin in our past. Look what John said in John 5, 14. This is the reason why I bring this up concerning our man and John. Because afterward, after Jesus has healed him and went away and, and the man didn't really know who it was, that who the name of the person was that healed him, Jesus finds this man in the temple and says unto him, he says, Behold, Thou art made whole. He says, sin no more. What? Sin no more, lest a worse thing come unto thee. That's where I, I grabbed the thread that he's almost alluding to that maybe what has happened was connected to a sin because he's telling him to sin no more lest something worse comes upon him. So perhaps this man's original suffering, and look at this, he suffered for 38 years. His original suffering may have been due to some type of sin that, that he had practiced. And the word of the Lord from the Lord Jesus Christ was good. He said plainly was this, stop sinning because something worse might happen. Listen, folks, I'm just, sometimes I just feel like a good old-fashioned person. We need that type of preaching. Right along the same messages that tell us that God can make you whole, we need the message that say you got to stop though what made you unwhole. <laughs> that, that's not a word, but you, you, less something worse. I mean, did not the one that had an unclean spirit when that was cast out, he said, you make sure you fill the house up because if you don't, he's going to go get seven more. And the last state of the man is going to be worse than his first state. Hallelujah. Now, 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 now. Brother Pastor Warren Wiersbe notes, and this is interesting. I want to kind of dig here just a little bit. He says, and I quote, Jesus did not say that the man's sins had been forgiven, end quote. He told him he was whole. He got his healing. He didn't say anything about his sins being forgiven. He just said, don't sin anymore unless the worst thing come upon you. Now, let's consider this just for a moment. Because here's what I know as a individual living upon this earth that you can get your miracle or healing and your sign and still yet be in need of forgiveness. Here is the problem. People have mistaken their miracle for their forgiveness. And that's what's created a charismatic world today that they're coming by the groves to get their healing and in that healing and that that breaking of whatever it was upon their life they feel as though they've been forgiven because God's healed them God doesn't have to forgive you in order to heal you 
You can be healed and get your miracle without forgiveness. You still need to repent. This is truth today, folks. Healing helps your body, but forgiveness will help your soul. And we've already learned you can go to heaven with a banged up body, but you can also go to hell with a whole body. Look at it now. Mark 2, back to my little cherry picking in Mark 2, okay? Mark 2 and verse number 6. So this is where Jesus comes to the sick of the palsy. He said, Behold, your sins are forgiven. Have you lost your mind? Look, Jesus, this guy can't walk. You're saying it. Him. And the Bible says in verse 6, But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Mm, well, yeah. Why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Look at this. Who can forgive sins but God only? He needs a witness. He's just trying for a witness here. This is Jesus, and they're saying, who does this guy think he is? Nobody can forgive sins but God. Hello? Limelight above Jesus' head. I am God. Now look now. And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit, that they so reason within themselves. They're not speaking this out, but it's just kind of dialogue in their own. Who's this guy think he is? Nobody forgives sins but God. You know, it's just going on in their mind. He heard their very thoughts. He knew what they were thinking. He said to them in verse 8, why reason you things in your hearts? Look at verse 9. Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say arise, take up thy bed, and walk. Jesus is about ready to just make a very profound point right here. Because here's the scribes, they're speculative about Jesus because he told the sick of the palsy his sins were forgiven him. They reasoned, nobody can do this but God. Jesus is God. And they reasoned right. Nobody could do it but God. I mean, in reality, they reasoned right. <laughs> they just didn't get all the connections there. They reasoned right. Nobody could do this but God. But Jesus wanted to make a connection for them. He asked, which is easier? I ask you, which is easier? Is healing of the soul or healing of the body easier? Because certainly, if I say your sins are forgiven you, there is no necessarily physical evidence that proclaims, oh, sins went away, they're gone, right? But if I tell the sick of the palsy, get up and walk, and he stands up and starts walking, it's evident that this guy's so which would be easier well surely if you say your sins forgiven everybody just has faith and belief it's happened but if you tell someone to get up and walk if they don't on you (laughs) you know but if you do yeah this guy's the guy but this is what jesus says this is powerful folks verse number 10 but that ye may know that the son of man has power on earth to forgive sins. Look at this. He says that you know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. He saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. He says, so that you would know that God has power on earth to forgive sins. 
I'll do what you are probably presuming the harder of the two. Because when I say take up your bed, there's got to be, it's going to have to be evidence. Everybody's going to know whether this worked or not. He says, so I'll choose the harder of the two. And he says, when this guy gets up and start walking, I want you to know I did that so that you would know that by the same power I did that, I can forgive your sin. So every miracle, every wonder, every sign was just God attesting to the fact the same power that I used to make the lame walk, I can make your sins washed away. The same power that I used to make the blind eyes open, I can make your sins to be forgiven. And he says, I'm only doing these things so that you'll know I can do that. These are great. These are wonderful. But that's more important. Oh, God. I, oh yes. Oh, yes. So we need not misunderstand. Oh, bless. Yeah. Hallelujah. You hear the testimonies. God healed me. I had cancer such and such and healed my body and blah, 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 blah. That's great. But have your sins been forgiven? Because if he did that in your life, he's trying to get you to connect with the fact he can forgive you of your shame, your pain, your sin. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. The real need of the sick of the palsy was the forgiveness of sins. And that need in reality superseded his physical need of healing. But again, he heals the body so people would know, verse 10, that the Son of Man had power on earth to forgive sins. He would do what they could visibly See, so they would trust him for and have confidence in him for what they could not visibly see forgiveness of sins, which in reality was the greater need. Amen. Now, in the Gospel of John, I keep track of time, I've been feeling real guilty here lately. <clears throat> It's not stopping me, though, is it? <laughs> In the Gospel of John, their God had come to save them, but it was at a much deeper level, of course, than raising the dead and making the halt here by the pool of Bethesda walk. All of those things, the, the, the blind eyes open, the... the those that were mute talking, all those things were witnesses in reality to his power of forgiveness. I want you to get that in your spirit. So when he makes the lame walk, what he really wants them to do is believe in him for forgiveness of sins. When he opens the blind eyes, he really wants them to acquaint all of that with him. And we see over and over again. Look at this. You, you re you've read your Bible and the Gospels enough that you see this over and over again. Jesus does some tremendous miracle sign or wonder for somebody. Maybe it's not in a public setting. Maybe it's in a private. He does something, and there's something that he typically does after he's done that. Tell no one. I mean, the one that gets me more than anything is the guy that, that was a, uh, a mute, right? And there was something else wrong with him. Anyway, he couldn't talk and there was something else. Jesus healed him, so he couldn't talk. And then he told the guy, don't say anything. <laughs> it was one of the most ironic things in Scripture. 
You've just been healed. You've been able now to talk, but don't say anything. But he does this all times. Isn't that hilarious? This book is awesome, folks. I mean, there's poetry, there's jokes, there's everything. And so he does all these things, and he oftentimes tells them, don't tell anybody. Because what happened? Whenever people would go forth and broadcast the healing, the miracle, they showed up, what? Wanting a healing. Wanting a miracle. Think for a moment with me. Just think through the scriptures if you can. So there's all these times that people want to go and talk about the healing and the miracle. How many times have we ever seen in the scriptures that someone just showed up at Jesus where he was and their sole request, nothing else was anything but this, forgive me of my sins. I'm just saying. If you survey the scripture a little bit, few if any of those moments, it's always... My daughter is sick. My servant is grievously vexed of a devil. Right? We have not bread to feed the multitude. Right? All these things. How many times do you hear someone just come up to the Lord and say, forgive me of my sins? We got to be careful. Even today, we got to be careful not to become... Like for one, one episode, not to become like the inhabitants of the Gadarenes, where the one man was in the tombs filled with a legion of devils. You remember? We got to be careful not to become like those inhabitants who in their, their, their area and their arena, they had that demon-possessed man. Because when it was all said and done, the Bible says they asked Jesus to leave their land. And yes, no doubt, having this demon-possessed man that cut himself, broke the chains, it was troublesome to have him in the community. But listen to me. These people wanted Jesus to solve their problems, but to save their pigs. What are you saying? I'm saying they were okay with change as long as ultimately it didn't change them. I got to dig into this, do a little bit more study, and somebody can help me. But I don't know the people at... Gadara or the Gadarenes, if they were just totally Jewish people or Gentile people or a mix of the two. And the reason why, I just, just, just for everybody to think, okay, this is just kind of side note with Pastor McGee right now. Because if there were Jews and they had swine, then that was wrong anyway according to the law. Because swine was an unclean animal. Okay? There were certain peculiarities in the Old Testament that defined what was clean and what was unclean. Right? If it chewed the cud... And if its hoof was divided, I believe it was. Uh-huh. It was divided. That I believe it was clean. It had to have both of those qualifications. It couldn't have one or the other. In other words, its foundation and footing had to be right and its mouth had to be right. Well, we can't even, because we can start talking about the fish too. Because there were specifications for it as well. But so someone looked that up. We need to, we need to, I looked into it a little bit today, but I got to dig deeper and, you know, so on and so forth. We need to check that out. But, but, yeah, I'll change God, but don't mess with what concerns. That's near and dear. Give me my miracle. Don't touch me and my pet sins. I want my body healed, but I'm comfortable with the spirituality of my soul that's destitute. 
Okay, we got to run. Someone say run. Run. I just about did it. The miracle. I'm having fun. The miracle was done. Here's the, 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 the infraction for the man Jesus in the eyes of the Jews. The miracle was done on the Sabbath day. The Jews persecuted Jesus, the scripture says. They sought to slay him because this took place on the Sabbath day. Now, listen, settle that in your mind for a moment. This man has been healed. But since it was on the Sabbath day, we got some beef with you. You get it? You get it? All right. And so this man has had no ability to walk for 38 years. This is the first day. All right. In 38 years, he's been able to walk, but it's inappropriate because it's on the Sabbath day. Now, there's something you must understand the Jews, and that is this. Uh, of course, even one of our commands, remember the Sabbath day, keep it holy. We've, we've done a whole study uh, through the Ten Commandments concerning the Sabbath day. I don't have time to reroute and go through all of that. We would be here for a while. But, so this idea of having a holy pause one day out of seven to turn from your normal work to be able to turn then toward worship. The Jews had taken this idea of not working and turning to worship and they have really exacerbated it and really built on it and contrived all kinds of stuff from it. They had some, according to my understanding, they had some 39 interpretations for what work was or what work wasn't, what that meant, working. Let me show one far end of the spectrum. According to the Jews, if a man carried a, like, almost like a sewing needle in his fabric of his garment on the Sabbath day, he was working. <laughs> I'm just saying. That, 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 was the, that was the extent of this. And so we have places in Nehemiah where it talked about not bearing burdens on the Sabbath day, but we got to understand the context of Scripture because in Nehemiah, they were often bringing their wares that they know, normally sold every other day of the week, and they were setting up around Jerusalem selling them on the Sabbath day. And so the bearing no burden was, don't you be bringing your garbage you usually bring every other day. Don't bring the work that you usually bring every other day of the week and set up on the Sabbath day. And so, you know, not bearing burdens and things of that nature. Well... They understand by this man's own admission, because he tells them in verse number 11, that he had been made whole. All right? He had been made whole. In other words, I can do what I'm doing right now prior to right now. I've been made whole. But since he was carrying his bed on the Sabbath, they're upset. And they're really upset. And they learn that it was Jesus that had told him this. Now, here we are. Just I, I'm, I'm running to our clothes, trying to. <laughs> the Bible says, Matthew 12 and verse 8, and I'm also going to read from Mark 2 and verse 27, concerning the Sabbath. Matthew 12 and verse 8 says, For the Son of Man is Lord, or if you will, Master, even of the Sabbath. He's the master of the Sabbath day. Mark chapter 2 and verse 27 says this. And he, speaking of Jesus, said unto them, the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. Now, when we look at Matthew and Mark, both of these verses of Scripture are, are dealing, dealing with a certain context in the New Testament. It's the same story, just in a different gospel. And it's whenever the disciples were walking through a cornfield, and the Bible says they plucked off some ears of corn, and there's some of the Jews and saying, oh, 
Do not your disciples honor the Sabbath? Because they plucked. That was doing, they was working, they plucked. You know, they seen that as work. They're plucking corn off a corn cob, you know. They're plucking corn on the Sabbath day. And so Jesus' response to them was, the Son of Man is Lord. He is the master of the Sabbath. And that this was not created. This was not, the, the, the Sabbath was made for man. It wasn't that man was created for the Sabbath. And then he goes on, everybody follow me? Then he goes on and tells a story. He, he goes back to the Old Testament. He said, do you all not remember how David, when he went to the temple and he needed something to eat, that he asked for bread, but there was no bread under the hand of the priest except the show bread? The holy bread, who, according to the law, was really only supposed to be for the priest. He said, yet the, the, the man of God gave David and his men holy bread. And so Jesus is relaying to them that it wasn't traditionally lawful for David to eat that bread because he was not a priest at this particular time. But Jesus is conveying to them that David's need for bread was greater than their traditional law. If I could say it like this, his need was greater than their tradition. He said the disciples went through, plucked that off, not because they're trying to do work and just get corn out of the field. They needed something to eat. There was need. And so that surpasses tradition. He said David needed food. So that surpassed tradition. He was able to partake of the holy. And so he's trying to convey to them that need trumps tradition. <laughs> and so the same applied to this impotent man. He is needing a healing. But that was trumping the idea that this is on the Sabbath day. What's Jesus doing? He's doing the same thing that he's done all the way from John 1 up to John 5 right now. Jesus is chiseling away at the traditions of the people, right? He's whittling away at the tradition, Sister Sheila. He takes the, the, the water pots that were used for purifying according to their custom, and he fills them up, and he does his first miracle in Cana using ceremonial water pots. <gasps> all right? They traditionally took their sacrifices to the temple, amen, but when he goes into the temple and cleanses it, he even, in so many words, identifies himself as the temple. Huh? And now he's healing on the Sabbath. What I'm saying is everything was traditionally regarded as sacred, right? Water pots are sacred. The temple is sacred. The Sabbath is sacred. It's holy. But Jesus says, everything that you deem according to tradition as sacred and holy, he says, I'm going to take preeminence over. That's important. Because when they needed cleansing, they oftentimes sought for the ceremonial water pots. But Jesus wanted them to know, that can now be found in me. Whew. Whenever they would go to the temple, they'd normally take their blood sacrifice, and by the blood of that sacrifice, they drew near to God. He says, let me be the Lamb of God. I'll be your sacrifice and your temple. And you're still getting close to him because I am him. It can be found in me. Amen. And so the Sabbath, here it is. I'm closing. I'm, I'm doing it. Oh, man. The Sabbath that was made for rest. The Sabbath that was made for rest. To take somebody from their normal work and provide an opportunity for worship. 
again, just like the water pots, just like the temple, just like the sacrifice, it could be found in Jesus. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Jesus speaking, come unto me. Hebrew speaks lengthy on this. Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. What's he providing for them? I'll give you Sabbath. It's found in me. Now look at this. I'm closing. Read the signs. Because they tell us that Jesus is here to save. The Old Testament prophet. And you can stand with me. The Old Testament prophet. Isaiah once again speaks in this regard. Isaiah 28 verses 11 and 12. And you can read other verses. But, you know, I'm already 50 minutes in. So I just got to make it too. <clears throat> For with stammering lips... And another tongue, he will, will he speak to his people, verse 12, to whom he said, this is the rest. Hold on. With stammering lips and unknown tongue, he speak to his people. There's something that happened at Acts 2 on the day of Pentecost. He said, the stammering lip, this speaking in another tongue. To whom he said, these people, all this happened for, he said, to whom he said, this is going to happen. He said, this is the rest. Wherewith you may cause the weary to rest. This is the refreshing you should, you would not hear. What's he saying? The Holy Ghost that you receive is providing your Sabbath for you. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not negating the fact that we need to take time out of a week to turn from our work, but I'm taking Jesus saying, I'm, I'm, I'm going above all this. Everything that you've tried to find in natural things here on the earth, he says, you can find in me. The blood, the sacrifice, the temple, the purifying, your rest. He said, it's found in me. So all signs point to him. So read the sign because Jesus is here to save you. And if he's ever done a healing or a miracle for you, he's just trying to relay the fact he can also forgive you of your sins. When we read in James that the Bible says that they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover, it goes on and say, and if they have committed any sin, it shall be forgiven them. Why? Because he doesn't do the healing without the ability of being able to forgive. If you'll desire it, if you'll grasp it. If we embow our heads here tonight, hallelujah, Lord. God, we come to you this evening. Lord, I want to go and live this life, God, with my eyes wide open. I don't want to, Lord Jesus, just cater, Lord, God, to the miracle or cater, Lord Jesus, to the healing. I want to understand the underlying deep truth that's trying to be related in that. You have the same power and can execute the same power to forgive me of my sin. You can wash me and make me anew. You can make, Lord, my broken bone heal. Hallelujah. Back together, oh God. You're here to save your people from their sins was the word of the Lord. Hallelujah. I pray, oh God, tonight, Lord, let people leave here with the understanding that the greater need of any is the need of their soul, the need, Lord, of sins being forgiven in their life. They may end this journey, amen, sick and dilapidated, but they'll get their healing when their change comes, but they must be forgiven on 
this side, Lord of the grave. Hallelujah. I pray, oh Lord, tonight, God, be with us this week. God, continue to help those, Lord, in need around our world, Lord, in our society. God, and help us to live the way that you would want us to live and live with the notion and the idea and the understanding that you're here to save people still yet from their sins. In the lovely name of Jesus Christ that I pray, amen and amen. Can the church say amen? Thank you for listening. If you would like more information about our services and activities, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the username FACMC. Again, that's FACMC. Thank you, and have a blessed day.